evening. Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Chris M. Pelletieri. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad you could make it. You have a, a new triple CD that kind of gathers up all your songs from around that not everyone's heard, are released in the U.S. Or It's kind of weird now because the world releases everything digitally, so the barriers have gotten kind of broken down, like with records and imports and stuff. Yeah. But it's all collected together, which is great because even if you can find the music, it's never in the right media player or the right format. So, you know. First question before we start. Your last album, it was actually, it was The Nature of the Beast. And this is Waking the Beast. Is this kind of a tie-in title? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, it, it is. It's somewhat thematic. You know, um, you know, it's interesting. When we did Nature of the Beast, I didn't even realize there was another band like 30 years or 40 years earlier named April Wine. Great band. You, have the you didn't know that? Play. No. I, between I remember, you and I, me? I think, oh, I, think I must have known about it, yeah. but subconsciously just didn't think about it, you know? And we were doing The Nature of the Beast. It was actually, which is a, it's from a film, I think, in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And so we really, there was a theme going on for that record. And it kind of like, oh, that's got to be the title. And it wasn't until afterwards. But Wake the Beast, everybody has always said our music, it's kind of like this little monster that's had this this cult following, this life in other parts of the world, like Japan, it's, it's done really well. Certain parts of continental Europe, the same thing. But in America, it's just like this thing that's just dormant, you know? Right. We always got kind of ignored, which is cool. I mean, we had great success in those other countries. But, you know, so we were kind of like laughing, going, well, we'll finally annoy everybody, especially in the, you know, in the industry, and we'll wake the beast. So that's how it became. You know, it's interesting because I always thought that, like, but it's good because if you look back, like if your band was with everybody else, you would have hit the big slump too. But kind of like Mr. Big was over big in Japan, like certain bands, guitar guitar gods and guitar heroes have really been done well in Europe and Japan and Asia. You know, it's allowed you to have a steady career. I mean, if you had to depend on the American market when rock dipped, you know what I mean? You had, you had elsewhere you could go. So, I mean, it's unfortunately, it kind of gave you a nice steady career. <laughs> You're absolutely right about that. I mean, look, what's that old saying? Don't slap the hand that feeds you, right? And we learned early on, you know, um, people have asked me why we've had this kind of success in Japan and certain parts of Europe. And I honestly don't know. I don't know if it's luck, if it's talent, if we just, we struck a chord. Something happened where we got, um, we got lucky perhaps, you know, and it was interesting because in the late 80s, remember, we came out around 86 with our Impelitary Black EP. Then we had, I always laugh in America, like our 15 minutes of fame was stand in line. I remember we that. MTV, yeah. all that fun stuff. But after that, we went back to being more of a hardcore metal band. And the records, I think it was the record Victim of the System and Answer to the Master in Japan, they just exploded. They blew up. And we were headlining. I mean, we were headlining arena stuff. Um, we were on the cover of all the magazines and I was thinking, you know, I, I've analyzed and I thought, you know, it's not that we're better than anybody else. We're not, you know, but something, our music touched a nerve, you know, mm-hmm. they related to it. And so you're absolutely right. A lot of my friends in America, you know, they shot that huge success in the late eighties. And then all of a sudden it fell apart from being multi-million selling records to all of a sudden it's like day jobs, you know? Yeah. And it was the opposite in Japan. Rob and I, it exploded. We sold millions of records and we played some very big, to this day, we still play massive venues in a lot of those areas. So it was definitely a gift, luck, whatever. 
maybe they can say the last name better too. Maybe that's the trick. So, <laughs> but like I said, it, it, it is it is a good thing. It's it's steady, and I've been aware of you on and off through the years. Um, but now there's more things on media where I can hear you. Um, let's talk about this 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 beast. This three this three, three CDs because it says there's other songs on it that weren't released. Do you have special songs? How was the whole thing put together? The tracks, and you know, for me especially, tracks are important. Track order. Was that a thing you guys put in mind? Your mind feels like it was pretty cohesive. For the most part, we tried to do the best we could. You know, it's really difficult choosing songs because, you know, I can see behind all those beautiful guitars. So you're obviously a musician, right? And when you write something and create something, you know, it becomes almost like a child, right? You're really passionate. And so the same thing with us. It's really hard to pick your favorite child. And it really is true. I can and- pick my favorite child, by the way, just for the record. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody heard that, no. (laughs) But but, but in all sincerity, it is kind of like that. So I I could never pick, you know, one of my daughters over the other. I love them both equally. Same thing with our music. And, you know, a lot of times that can be problematic because Mm -hmm. a lot of times with the the music we've created, I don't have a bias. I don't really know, is it great or is it bad? Is it suck? You know, I don't know because I'm so close to it, right? Right. You may hear it. You may hear it completely different than the way I hear it. And so really what we did with this record is we really thought about over the years, you know, when we play concerts in Europe or Japan, what do the fans demand? What do they seem to like or embrace, right? What do they not like? And so we kind of started to think from that perspective, what is the stuff that we always, you know, we have to do live or, or the stuff that mm-hmm. the songs that we talk about the most. So that at least gave us the beginning of, all right, these songs should probably make the cut. And then also what we would do is we'd sneak and look at these, whatever these torrents are, wherever people would rip stuff and put a bundle up and there'd be comments and you read comments. Some of them it's, you know, it's great when they're like, Oh, you guys are the greatest thing ever. Why aren't you guys more popular? And then you read ones, you guys suck. You play too many notes, whatever. So you start to get a sense of what do they like? What do they not like? Right. So that made a huge contribution to how this, this three song anthology was put together there's also something really important which i i've gotten a million questions so i'm going to just jump ahead in case you're going to ask it people get, keep going is this remastered remix no absolutely not why would we molest something we spent a fortune creating we had the best mastering engineers in the world working on these records same thing with mix engineers you know we've always spent a fortune on our records where we probably for the most part always lose money making these records but We've, with the exception of Stand in Line, which is not my favorite record by any means, but all the records around it, the production is always massive. So really what this is about, in certain parts of the world, yes, our music's been accessible and people were able to buy it. But for the majority of places outside of Japan and certain places in continental Europe, people that like the band, unfortunately, were forced to buy you know, the exports or whatever, and right. they pay a fortune for that stuff. And so, but we were also legally bound where we had no control. Mm-hmm. We could only release records in certain countries or market because they were like the underwriter, right? The investment yeah. banker, they paid for it. They had the rights, the license. So it finally came up where, ah, we finally own everything. Now we can bring it to the world. So that's what we've done. Okay, I get that. It's pretty fair. I think, you know, as I think about your music, like popularity and not, I almost feel like when you came out, you, you almost straddled like two or three different worlds because you were fast, but some of your wrists were actually kind of thrashy, but the vocals were different. So I almost feel like you were kind of like in a couple of different uh, swim lanes. So I wonder if you know, that was a challenge too for some people because some people just like they're easy songs, or you know what I'm saying, or they're thrash. You kind of had a lot of, a lot of sprinkles of everything in it, you know? That's what you guys are. 
epic yeah, music. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you hear that because it is true. You know, it's, we have to be careful with the speed thing, right? That a lot of that I brought that onto myself, the, the attention and all of the ridicule and all the stuff. You know, look, as a kid, you know. I was always, I, I started playing guitar because I had lost my parents when I was a little kid. And my grandmother got me to take music lessons for years and learn music theory and, and you know, understand how classical compositions were structured and learn all that stuff. And then when you're young, you know, when you can start playing really cool stuff, really technical right. stuff, you play it really fast, you feel really good inside, right? Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I went a little too far with that, <laughs> which uh, over time, I learned, well, reel it back. It has to have its purpose, right? It has to fit the song. But yeah, we've always kind of worn those influences on our sleeve. Like, look, this song demands to be more of a thrash metal song. Like right. a lot of the stuff on the Impelitary Black EP that started the whole thing. If you listen to that, to me, it reminds me of like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest on steroids with all the technical fast guitar soloing and the screaming, you know, and all that right. stuff. That's, that's the epic part of here in, in your music. It's that all big battleground. That's why it's probably good in Europe and, and Japan. That's always been a strong market for that music. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, but a lot of it also has to do with the expression and the frustration. You know, for me, the speed thing, people thought it was just about, oh, I'm showing off. It was never about that. It was really, I think, losing my parents when I was a kid, the frustration. You know, it's for the reason my grandmother got me to, to learn how to play guitar in the first place. She thought I needed something to express myself. And a lot yeah. of that to this day, I guess, comes out in some anger, you know, whatever. But, you know, that's that's unfortunately how it started, you know, to be honest, the aggression, you know. Now everyone knows. Now it's gonna be like if you put out a slow album, I'm gonna be like, oh, he's in therapy now. Oh, the music sucks. <laughs> and <laughs> you I know? Be, you know, which is great. <laughs> no one expected that one. That's the album we right. were expecting. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. I finally funny. do my Gary Moore blues record. They'd be like, ah, Xanax uh, therapy. Yeah, that's right. It's a good meds, right? Prozac. Back to the title. You're working title too. The Prozac blues. You got the whole. You do a whole theme there on it. But you know. On this, it is serious. I, I do hear like a lot of types of music, and, and it, it, I really, it, it's fun, and I enjoy it. But I do wonder if that's why the American market, because it was like it was like either like like glam metal or hard rock, or you just totally to thrash. And if you were totally deep into thrash, you were not going to listen to high vocals like that. Very few bands, maybe Anthrax with Joe. But you know what I'm saying, but overall, you were not going to listen to the epic Iron Maiden vocals. But then if you were to this band, you know Iron Maiden, no, they had the solos, but they weren't as fast as you. So I think that's where you're probably trying to find a niche there. You know, it was like people were really focused in on that. Early on, though, you had you only you had you had a singer. Temple, you had Graham come in for one one what, one album, right? What was yeah, that all yeah. about? What? Why do you, was that well, a? Well, well, Graham Bonnet actually did two records okay. during our yeah our, our career. So what happened was when we did the first record, which is the Impelitary Black EP. It's really just a far song EP. It was right. what started it all. And we were very poor. We didn't have much money. I'll never forget. We recorded at BBO Recording Studios in Hollywood. And it was funny. We were in room A tracking live, almost with like a bunch of room mics playing live. In room B, our engineer kept moving between us and Gene Simmons of Kiss was writing demos for the Kiss record. And we were playing and we were just, I don't know, it was a good night, a good week, whatever. We were just playing well. We didn't have the money for the big production, but we were capturing the band live, almost like putting up an iPhone today in in a concert today. And it just, it, it blew up. We got signed. I remember Kerrang! Magazine, which was at that time, was the biggest metal magazine in the world. It was out of England in London. Yeah. I'm sorry, London in England. And I remember they gave us five out of five stars. They called me the next guitar player. I think they were the ones who started that ridiculous fastest guitar player in the world, which is not true. Never has been. But I think it was started by them. 
And, you know, we just all of a sudden we had a career, but then came a problem. You know, we started doing really well. I remember even on Sunset Boulevard, we called the Sunset Strip like the Rainbow Bar and Grill. They had a massive billboard of me on the Impelitary Black EP during that time. So we had a huge buzz. And Rob Rock, our singer, decides, you know, he wants to do something different. He had an offer from Dieter Dirks, who was a German producer, had done the band Scorpions. I've actually like had him on the show. He's fantastic. You Okay, Brett. So Rob leaves me and I'm like, oh, my God. The record is is taking off. We have all this demand, tours, all stuff. And my singer just left. It's like, I'm screwed. What do I do? And we had to deliver a new record. So Graham Bonnet and I were friends. And I remember Graham and I crossed paths because Graham had just finished Alcatraz. It was over. And I lost Rob. I was like, what do I do? And now it was hard because, you know, Graham is an amazing, talented singer. Oh, yeah. But I couldn't put him in thrash metal, more like, you know, Lost in the Rain and stuff on the first Black EP. So we literally had to write music. I remember the first song I wrote was Stand in Line. And I actually wrote the riff on a keyboard. Right. And and I remember bringing it to him and he started singing. I was like, I got chills. I was like, wow, this is great. But it's not in Pelletarian. Right. right. It, it really sounds like Rainbow. So we decided let's do more of almost a tribute to Rainbow, which gets a little too watered down for my taste. But we went in that direction with it. Yeah, you and, actually do a rainbow song in there too, right? You actually do since um, since you've been gone. Yeah, yeah we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we did. Yeah, we did that, and we all and we said rainbow. I thought over the rainbow, somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah, it was. Oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, It's you know. Listen, I will always be grateful and love that song. Stand in line, and what that record did for our career in Japan. It, it was. I can't tell you what it was like. You know, I mean, I hear, I hear always artists go, oh, the Beatles. You know that guy. It was, we'd walk out of a hotel room and there are just thousands of kids everywhere. Just insane. We had police, security. I don't know what happened, but we touched a nerve at that time, especially in Japan, with Stand in Line. We already had a built a cult following with the right. military Black EP. But that gave us a record deal, a life, even though I was not thrilled with that record by any means. It wasn't heavy enough for my taste, and I hated the way they mixed it, they buried my guitar and reverb way too much. We got it right in the EP, but they didn't get it right in that one. So there were little things like that. So anyways, I remember we did some shows with Graham. Our first show in Japan was 65,000 seat Tokyo Dome. And wow. then we did, the last show we did was, it was actually Impelitary and the Pat Travers Band. And we did the San Jose Civic Auditorium, which is- Wow, up that is two bands that would not really kind of see together. Yeah, and it was sold out. It was packed. We played great. I remember it was just amazing. I remember it was on my birthday. I remember we came home, and I got a call from my manager. Graham had to go back to Australia to be with his wife. He was having some marital issues at that time. And my manager calls and goes, good news. And I went, what? He goes, we got you the end of the Iron Maiden tour. And so now we're going to start in Florida, whatever the arena is, somewhere in Miami or whatever. And we were going to start with Maiden and, and do that, which would have been huge. Oh, yeah. And we get a call. Yeah, we get a call from Graham. He's not coming back. He's got to work out his marriage and it's over. And so here we go again. Now I lost a singer for the second time. And so hence, so Graham exit. And thank God Rob was available. And we brought back Rob in to do some live stuff and then realized we shouldn't break this apart. We work well together. We have some sort of writing chemistry, if we can use yeah. that term. And so yeah. Rob comes back in. And this is kind of where United States, America, at least us, we were never a hair band you know, we were never one of those glam bands. So we didn't really have to worry about that dying off, but metal itself, even bands like Pantera, they were, you know, it was a, a bit of a struggle. You know, a lot of the grunge thing was coming in and thank God we had such a foundation in Japan that all of a sudden all the bands that couldn't succeed anymore, 
in America, they were all going to Japan and they were trying to, you know, they were basically our competition and the love of God. I don't know how we ended up getting above them. I mean, we get on the cover of the magazines. We'd win their readers poll magazines. We'd sell out shows. I remember one concert tour we did. um, I had guys that were our crew guys were also like the road manager of Def Leppard and all these big bands. And they came with us. And I remember the first night we got there we were going to go see this band Bush, who was some big band, you know, like right. the one who married uh, yeah. Gwen Stefani, yeah. right? Yeah, Gavin Rossell. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were playing the same. Now, they had exploded. They were selling millions of records. They were playing the same venue we were playing in Tokyo. We went to go see them that night, and they canceled. And I was like, what up? They couldn't sell any tickets, right? And so they canceled. We sold out three nights in a row, same venue. So it was, that's how crazy Japan was for us. It was stuff like that. We're like, and to this day, I'm like, I don't know what it was. It wasn't like we were not better than any other band, but again, maybe our music touched those people. So, you know, but anyways, where I'm going with this. So we just, whether it was luck, fate, whatever it happened, were end of eighties, most of my friends and big bands that sold, if not 10 million plus records, a lot of them struggled. We, if anything, started doing really well, <laughs> which was crazy. So that is it. Yeah. And then you could come over to the United States and then you kind of like live two different lives, right? You weren't as yeah, known. like, yep, yep. Here it's like, who? You know, it's like people say impelitarian. They're like, what is that virus? <laughs> it's like coronavirus or COVID, you know? But, but in all sincerity, yeah, it is very much like that. It's frustrating. There's no doubt about it because we have a lot of people that like our band in America that want to see us, but it's really hard. You know, we're not, I'm not a big fan of, because we had an agent about, I guess it was about a year before COVID who offered me a full blown American tour. And we did the math. We're like, dude, by the time I do this, I'm going to spend 50 to $60,000 out of my own money every month, losing money to do this tour. I said, how does this make sense mathematically? You know? So it's been a struggle with America, you know? Are you based out of America? Are you living in America? Are you? I, if I was you, yeah. I'd in Japan myself. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, yeah. no, no, I do. I, I'm actually, the car I'm in right now, I'm actually in Beverly Hills. But yeah, I, I live outside. I live in a place called Westlake Village, but for people that don't know it, it's pretty much where Malibu is, but it's in the hill. You know, so that's where my house is. Yeah. Cool. So I'm, I've been a California guy forever. My wife, my daughters, everybody's here. And the band, the nucleus of the band is here. That's very cool. And so basically, you, you just fit all your, it's so crazy though. You being based in America, you still don't do any tours. Do you do any clubs or anything for fun? Ever play anything? Warm up gigs? Just really no. Oh American yeah, gigs? No, oh yeah, no, no. We've done that, and it's been fun. I mean, many years ago, we would come and we would sneak and we do a show at like the Whiskey a Go Go as a warm up show. And yeah. I remember talking to a promoter said, "Ah, you guys are big in Japan, but it will never work in America." And it was funny. I don't know if he was right or wrong. He's probably right about it. But I remember we played the Whiskey a Go Go, and I don't remember which record it was. But I remember we tried to keep it under wraps because remember, it was a warm-up show. If we suck, right. we don't want it to be like that. I remember we we pulled up to the venue to do like sound check at like two or three in the afternoon. And there was a line around the block going for as, as long as the eye could see, packed. And we were like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> it is like and we never really went much further thinking, wait a minute, we just did that in L.A., right? Now, the Whiskey Go Go is not big. I mean, it probably right. holds 500 people at best, right? But believe me, there was a line going around the block. So I don't know how many people didn't get in to see us, right? So we knew we could probably do something, but I just don't think we could have done it in every state. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in Japan, you know, we could play arenas or whatever. I mean, some places in Asia, I mean, we just about, I think that was probably maybe, it was, it was pre, definitely pre-pandemic. We did our first show in Korea, which we've never done. 
And my bass player, James, he couldn't go for visa reasons. So my buddy, uh, Rudy Starzo, a lot of people know him. Um, Rudy basically played bass. He came in, learned all our music, the set, learned it for about two weeks. We rehearsed for about two weeks. And then we went and played this venue. And it was our first time in Korea. And we were headlining. And we were thinking, you know, what what's it going to be like? 300 people are going to show up? And I remember Rudy looked at me. We were walking up. If you've ever been on like the big festival-type stages, you have these massive staircases or ramps you go up. And as you get towards the top, you kind of look over and see the audience. And I think it was something like 30 to 40,000 people came to see us. It was insane. You can go on YouTube and just impelitary Busan Rock Festival. And you, at the end of the songs, they usually pan out. And you can see it. Yeah. It's just insane. So that's the surreal part of being in this band. You know, in America, most people are like, who? Never heard of you, whatever, you know? And it's like in other parts of the world, massive, you know? Yeah. You know, listen, we have always been, like I said, we've always been a band of the people. I know that sounds like we're trying to be politically correct or cool or whatever, making excuses why we're not as big as Metallica, right? We're a band of the people. But in all sincerity, we really are. I mean, look, we've had a diehard fan base. I don't know what it is, but, you know, we go and play concerts overseas and I know everybody wants to sound cool and relevant and say young people come to our shows, right? But it's true. We go out there and you see 14 and 15-year-old kids with impelitary T-shirts on. And they come to our shows. And we still have the 50 and 60-year-olds as well. But we have this huge cross-pollinated audience that have been really dedicated to our band. Don't know what it is. Maybe because we've never been force-fed on people. We never had the media machine or people buying us buying us on tours and buying us into radio and all that. I mean, we had to earn everything. So the people that like our band, they like it genuinely. At least I think. (laughs) I think they are. So what are you going to do with this tour? Are you going to tour for this? How are you going to, how are you going to promote this, this triple album? I mean, cause like I said, your, your nature, yeah, nature of the beast was out at 218, right? It wasn't that long ago. And then COVID hit. So I don't think you probably worked that album as much as you wanted to either. No, we we got four four albums now to work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And by the way, we're basically doing our because we have another record we have to deliver to both our label Frontiers, which is in Europe and America. And then we've got it for JBC Victor. So we have to release another record. I think it's mid 2023. So we're literally hence me and my car studio. We're recording the new record right now for that hopefully mid 23, maybe towards summer and then touring summer, definitely Europe and Japan. I hope we can do U.S. dates, you know. It's going to be a challenge for everybody because I hear other bands now. It's, it's oversaturation now in, in America yeah. because yeah. no one could work, and then everyone's trying to work now. I heard yeah. buses. You got to get people have a hard time getting tour buses now. I've heard that. Yeah, exactly. So good. So well, we don't need a tour bus. I guess we'll be flying everywhere and doing hotels, and I'm good with that because it's a lot more comfortable. I promise you. <laughs> well, I don't see why you can't get some of those flying dates. Those are the best ones. A lot of those, a lot of the festivals and the shows and the ships and stuff. Yeah, I don't see yeah. why you guys wouldn't fit in perfectly. Yeah. As you get older, though, how are you guys? Keep, how are you keeping your your fingers going? So, I mean, Gen- you know, I, a lot of it has to do with genetics and age. You know, um, it's like I've always taken care of myself. I've never been a smoker, never been a drug addict. You know, I don't mean that derogatory towards anybody who's had that issue, but I've never been that guy. Because so I have a big, maybe- I have a big heroin, heroin, heroin hash part of my audience, so I don't want you to <laughs> exclude anybody. <laughs> Thank you. But, they but, play this in hash dens around Amsterdam, so just you know. <laughs> But, but seriously, you know, I mean, we just take care of ourselves and, you know, I, I can do anything I could do at 21. I do it better now, probably because I'm older and I have muscle memory, you know? Um, so for me, period, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's not that difficult. You know, I will say this to be fair though, 
when we did do the, the previous tour, we did do some extra warm up dates. I remember we did um, New Jersey. We did some place in Connecticut and we did a place in New York. And I remember the New York one almost killed us because we had to play at one o'clock in the morning. And I was like, this is the first time I was like, I'm too old for this. It's like, what? I can go on at nine o'clock. No problem. One o'clock in the morning when you're, when you're traveling all night or you're flying in or whatever. It's like, that's brutal. I, you know? I, I don't know how you guys do it. I'll be honest with you. I say it like I went to, I just went to a show recently and it was awesome. And it was, I, I actually live in Connecticut. So I, was, I, I, um, I went out and saw this band, love the band, but I'm waiting for the band to come on. It's like between seven and eight. And I'm standing. I'm like, man, I should have brought like a beach chair or something. I'm so old. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I don't standing anymore. I don't know how you guys can perform a whole night, get on a bus yeah. or something and travel and be, be in a good mood and keep performing. I just, it's hard. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it, the the traveling part is hard. I got to be honest. This is another thing. Maybe because we are always popular in places overseas, we got spoiled because, you know, you go to Japan I mean, it's like we're flying a lot of times private, <laughs> which is people again go, you have a private. It's like, yeah, I mean, the record company paid for a lot of that. But I mean, we're treated like we're, we're spoiled. Let me put it that way. And, and those markets. So we're traveling. Believe me, we're getting a full eight hours sleep. It's great. Good. You know, I mean, I you know, maybe take a little Xanax and good night on the flight, you know, wake up. Hey, I'm there and I feel rested, you know, go to the hotel. The hotels don't suck. I mean, they're all really nice hotels versus, yeah, in America on that tour where we're losing a fortune. It's like, oh, my God, what flea bag are we staying in tonight? You know, yeah. someone's sleeping on a floor of the tour bus or whatever, you know, so it, it can be challenging. But, you know, you got to be you got to be motivated and want it. And I just I love playing, you know, so, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day in America, the sad part is, I mean, I realize we better do it soon or else it's going to be too late. You know, I mean, it's it's just a reality. So the question is, can we make it work financially? And then can we tolerate what you're saying? Because it's not really as hard on me. Right. I mean, I still like everybody else. I'm older. I'm older than you. So I definitely need my, oh, my yeah. sleep so I can shred and be at my best. But the hardest job for the band guy is probably Rob Rock, the singer, because he backed himself into that wall singing all that high stuff as a young guy. Well, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. It's it, it is a lot of its genetics because he can still do a lot of that without problem. But if he's exhausted, like any human being, it's hard. You know, if he's well rested, no problem. It's like he's, you know, 15 again. That's insane. That is really it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I'm, but those are things I'm thinking of because as you get older, you're like, oh, I, I wish I didn't write that song on that note. I wish, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the forethought. <laughs> yeah. I've talked to people and they're like, I can just kick myself now for doing my, my biggest song. <laughs> You know, at that octave, that just maybe I could have just pulled back a little I, bit. I, I heard that from friends, especially with David Coverdale. Love David, love yeah. the whites and stuff. But they used to kind of lay jokingly said, "Yeah, he yeah, backed like, himself the wall with that stuff." You know, right? I mean, you just can't win. And then if you're sick and everything else, I mean, so. But there are singers that are still doing it, and it's it's good to hear your guys doing it too because you know your songs really need it. You know, you'd be kind of out out there. I think you guys can make it if you do. If you get some of these these flyout gigs, that's probably the best way for it. It's affordable for anybody right now. Yeah, and again, we'll see. I mean, again, we. I don't want people to think I'm arrogant and spoiled with Japan. Like, oh, we just we're too big for America. We don't need it. You know, we make a ton of money and we do great. We have great lives because of other countries. It's it's not that. You know, I I want to make sure it makes sense. You know, believe me, it's not fun when you lose a lot of money touring, and I've done it. You know, no. people don't realize bands like us, I mean, we're really not designed for clubs. And we have, if you've ever seen our stage set, we have a pretty big stage set, et cetera. Yeah. So we, 
we're probably more, I don't mean it arrogantly to say we're designed for arenas and whatever, but you know, we are, so we want to play those environments. The problem is in America, you know, there's no way in hell they're going to let us sell out, you know, or, or promoters are not going to take the chance on putting this arenas. So the reality is we'd have to go as a support act. Well, guess what? And I have friends that are in bands, big bands, right? And even with the friendship, it's still buy-on because <laughs> they need to offset yeah. their costs. So now yeah. you're paying to play. It's like, really? So flying dates make make sense, you know, as long as we can have the production. I want to make sure that the audience that see us see a real impellitary show like they see in Japan and Europe, you know, versus here we come with, you know, we got two amps and a back line and no lights and no, you know, no fire and buy, you know, the whole thing that we're known for. So... Well, I, I wish you luck on that. I mean, this is, I, I really hope this, this, this CD or three CDs are actually streaming now. <laughs> it's hard what you call it now. It does well for you guys. It gives you like, you know, some more action over here because, you know, I like to see you guys myself. So, Selfish Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And listen, I mean, they'll, they'll, the, the anthology will do whatever it does, you know? I mean, like I say, every day. You know, hopefully we gain someone that likes it. I always call them friends and family, right? Part yeah. of the impellitary family, you know? Um, so it seems like every day, every week, we we seem to gain some new audience, some part of the world, wherever. And and that's the cool thing about the digital age, right? I mean, your music can be s- distributed everywhere now. Right. You know, us, but, you know, for us, you know, whatever happens, happens. We're good with it, you know? We're, I guess the word would be, we are content happily, you know? Well... That's awesome. So I want to tell. So it's actually coming out. I think it comes out on the thirtieth, right? The, yeah, the album yeah. Talking about. Yeah. yeah. This may be out before then. So when it comes out, people check it out. This is this is a really good three D set, and then go back and listen to their albums too, because there's good stuff. Go backwards if you have to. Go forwards. But I did have to ask about Bonnet because I didn't know the whole story back in the day, because of American Press. I didn't know like I'm like what happened because why was he there? I mean, it worked out and this and that. Did he fix his marriage? Was it worth it for the tour? No, they ended up getting divorced. Sadly. So but they you should go on Iron Maiden then. But they're, but they're, but they're friends. <laughs> they're friends. I will tell you something though, and this does pertain to the anthology. The second song, I think the second song in the anthology on the first rest disc is uh, "Perfect Crime." I was, like I say, I was never thrilled with Stand in Line record. You know the way it was. Yeah. They buried my solos in reverb. I didn't like the production, and I really didn't have a lot of control on it. But when it was time to do a record called system X Rob had stepped out of the band for a little bit mm-hmm. and we brought Graham back in, but I said, this time, this is going to be revenge. I'm not going to do a watered down kind of rainbow type record. I'm going to do impalitary Graham. You're going to bring whatever your gift is to this, this time. Right. And so that record has become one of our fan favorites, right? Songs like perfect crime and yeah, buddy mine, arch enemy sent me a text or whatever recently goes, dude, would you use a guitar solo, you know? And But Graham, I mean, he sounds like, you listen to songs like United We Stand, which was, we recorded that right, I think, as 9-11 was happening. Um, and you listen to Graham Bonnet, and it's like, it gives me chills hearing the way he sings. It's literally like a lion. It's insane. Yeah. But th- that record was, it was another one of those records where, I, ah, I finally got my revenge on Stand In Line. <laughs> which, again, I love the song Stand In Line. I but I know. I, I hear yeah. you. That's funny. And even joking about the Graham's to wish. I love him too. I, I have nothing bad. I heard uh, all good things for him. I think he's great too. So yeah. I think it's, it was, they are good albums. So it's just interesting. The, the difference of the singers though. It's literally like, it's like deep purple one and two, like Mach one, Mach two are different versions. And you can have that. And people don't realize that you can have different singers. that still love them all. You know, love every album. The same. You, know, you know, what's really interesting. You can, it's a testament to how great 
both Graham and Rob really are as individual singers. Mm-hmm. So when we did System X and all the other Impelitary records around Stand In Line, you have two completely different singers, but I'm mm-hmm. the guy who kind of writes the music, right? James, then our bass player, puts his input in the drummer. But it's really the same music source. So when I did System X, I wrote exactly the way I write for Rob. But listen to a Rob Rock Impelitary record and Graham. They're completely yeah. different. And they're both equally talented, insanely talented, but it just, it kind of exposes what they bring, how unique their attributes are, you know? I think that reinforces what I was saying earlier about the difference in music. Like if you thrash, if you almost change a little bit here and there, a certain sound, you'd sound exactly like the different type of music. Like, you know what I mean? Thrash, if like there's just a certain sound, like the music is exactly like it would be for thrash or for this or that, but it's just a different singer or a different tone or something. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's really, it's a testament to your music to how, uh, flexible it is really you know yeah kind of malleable well, or you move it around yeah but you know it's also a lot of its influence i'm influenced by so many other artists you know and if they affect me in a positive way it probably would somehow come out on our records so at that point it's like oh my god which direction are we going this way kind of reminds me in some ways of what the band queen did they were all over the place you know i was never a big fan of their pop stuff i love you know stuff like stone cold crazy and yeah. things like that um, but you know, the reality is when you kind of think about how broad and diversified they were, it's kind of like the band, the Eagles, same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of wanted to have a little bit of that in our band as well. We're all over the place with metal, of course. Then you have it. And with the Eagles, they were just all just hated each other. And they all had their own songs. They just wanted to fight about it. Why, why didn't say any of us like each other? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At this point, I think you guys have to like each other just a little bit to get along. I, uh, <laughs> Chris, it's been awesome. I, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, and we'll have you back in. If you want to come back when you have your next album on, we'll, we'll break thank through the album breakdown. This has been super fun. I'm glad to finally get to, to work with you and talk to you. So people yeah, check listen, them out. Thank you so much. We're humbled to be on your show and for you having us. Well, thank you.